Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, so that those who might live would live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I consider myself to be an optimistic realist. So I like to have hope for a bright future but I make plans just in case. And I had hoped that by today, I could stand here and say, it is finished, but I am wrong. It is not finished. It doesn't feel finished. Sometimes it feels like it has only just begun. All during the past month, actually starting in October, we have been discussing what we knew would happen in some shape or form on some level that after this election, somebody was going to be upset, hurt, angry, disappointed. Some people might even lash out. It might cause a little division. We had no idea that it would get this bad. None whatsoever. So while we have been getting up to this point, talking about how we make decisions according to the scriptures, what we do with division as modeled by the men and the women and the churches in the New Testament, and ultimately gearing up for a day about unity and moving forward, we're here. And when we come into this place, we're seeking for answers from God. We're seeking for ourselves some sign of assurance. We want to know that in some way, shape, or form, it's going to be okay. And it is, but it's not going to be okay right away. We have work to do. 
And as I've been watching the news, and I was up till 2.30 that morning. Yeah, that made me a peach on Wednesday. As I was up to 2.30, practically biting my nails if I had any, waiting and watching, I started to feel that pit in my stomach, listening to the pundits, listening to the news forecasts, listening to reactions being played. And then I made the epic mistake of monitoring Facebook. And it was horrific. Before it was even decided, the battle for human decency was lost. And we were modeling the kind of behavior that I never want my child to see. We were saying and doing things as a country that were humiliating, they were embarrassing, they were atrocious. And we were putting it all out there for a digital footprint for all time. And what do we do with that? How do we, as a clearly polarized country, people who are deeply divided on these issues and on the outcome of this election, how do we find some way not to hate one another? How do we do that? Because what we've been putting on the TV, what's been all over the Internet, the conversations that I've been hearing out in public, they don't sound like love. Not the kind of love I want. And so... When we read the scripture this morning, we hear the Apostle Paul telling us that God has given us a tremendous gift and has entrusted into the care of the church the ministry of reconciliation. So now what do we do with it? You know, one of the things about being a pastor is that everybody thinks you're on their side. So Wednesday, in my less than optimal state, as I walked my son to the bus stop, one person gave me a high five because they had assumed I had voted for Trump. Halfway down the next block, someone came to give me a hug because they had assumed I had voted for Clifton. Uh, Clifton, not Clifton. <laughs> he wasn't running. Thank goodness. For Clinton. I thought that I had voted for Clinton and gave me a hug because they needed to console me. Later on, I got a text message, way to go green. Nobody has no idea how I voted. No idea how I voted, and it's going to stay that way. Because right now it's a moot point, frankly. But you know, the truth is that no matter how this election turned out, I was going to be disappointed. I was not going to be happy. Because I have come to expect through my personal experience a level of leadership that is unparalleled. It is modeled by radical forgiveness and acceptance, a desire to truly get better and help all people come together in unity, and Jesus wasn't on the ballot. In fact, let's just put it in frame for a moment that Jesus couldn't have been on our ballot. We have created a system that precludes Jesus from ever running because he wasn't a native-born American, and he died before he got to be 35. He was never going to win this election. We were never going to have the perfect candidate. Irony among all ironies, though, if Jesus had won, there would still be people upset. There would still be people that would say, oh, no, 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 separation of church and state. There would still be people that were arguing, well, he wasn't my candidate. No. We were not all ever going to be happy. But in the wake of our displeasure has come this horrific outpouring of pain and suffering on both sides. 
Because while 62 million people voted for either Clinton or Trump, there was a whole other 5 million people that went out and voted but didn't pick either of them. And while almost 55% of eligible voters voted, they trust some of us an awful lot who didn't. And so here we are. And I'm having to listen to things about Donald Trump supporters. That those people who voted for Donald Trump must be xenophobic, homophobic, must hate women and Muslims. And as I listen to that, I think, how do you know why someone, judge, why someone voted for whom they voted for? Because my conversations up until this point have given me the insight that as many people voted against somebody as they voted for them. Voting is intensely personal and complicated. I'm not about to sit here and judge on who you voted for. And I would hope that you're not judging for one another. But then I'm watching Trump supporters gloat and get nasty. I'm watching them talk about how finally it's their day and everybody else is about to be put in their place. Well, unless it's raising up the lowly, I don't know what we're doing. That's the commandment that Christ gave to us. I don't ever find it justified for you to spray paint buildings or turn to somebody of a different ethnicity and say to them, you're about to go home. Or turn to somebody who would identify themselves as non-heterosexual and tell them that they're about to become a slave to the law. This is not what we are to be on either side. I also, as a female, deeply appreciate the shaming that's going on for Melania Trump. I love that we are showing our children and our youth that it's okay to pull up something from their teenage and early 20 years and use it against them as if they're an immoral and evil person that is unredeemable. I especially appreciate that. That we are teaching our young women that what you do now will define you forever. As if grace is meaningless. I remember reading a gospel that says that even what you have done before you walked in these doors can be wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. So no, I don't appreciate what we're doing to her. And I honestly didn't know anything about Melania Trump. So I decided to educate myself. I learned that she had grown up in Yugoslavia, the former Soviet state. And there, at the age of 16, she found employment when Yugoslavia was one of the most unemployed countries in Europe. She actually found a means by which to be gainfully employed. And yes, she did modeling. However, when I look at her pictures, I have to tell you, she's no more naked than Madonna, Lady Gaga, or Miley Cyrus. But that's okay, because they're not the first lady. It's okay to shame her, because her husband's going to be the president. Is it? Is this the way we want to behave to another human being? Is this what we want to model for one another and for our children? And trust me, they are listening. They are paying attention. In fact, Nickelodeon let them vote. My son demanded to go online and vote for his candidate. Excuse me? I thought we were going to go get ice cream. <laughs> I've been much more enjoyable anyway. I'll take the calorie hit on that one. Instead, this is where we are. We are at a place of deep and profound division. Where is our humility on either side? Where is it 
When I see people starting to drag Barabbas into the conversation, that's dangerous. Claiming that anybody in this election on either side is Barabbas, you might want to be real careful because that means they ran against Jesus and we both know Jesus wasn't on the ballot. We established that already. But let's take that for a moment. Let's take Barabbas. There's an epic vote that's held on the day that Jesus is turned over. Very, within 24 hours, he stands before Pilate, and there's a vote. Do you want this Jesus or this one, Barabbas? Which one do you want? And the people respond that they want Barabbas, right? He's a murderer. Oh, I forgot to mention that Jesus was a convicted felon. He's a murderer. We'll take him. When Jesus resurrects on the third day, I don't remember him going up before Pilate with all of his people and being like, booyah! <laughs> so, that was not how that went down. But do you know where Jesus and the apostles did go? To the people that were hopeless and helpless. They went to the people whose faith was shaky and who needed to know that it's going to be okay. They didn't go out and parade themselves and be like, ha ha, that didn't happen. That's not what it's about. You know, we are seeking leadership. And yet on Wednesday, I went and gathered with other mid-sized church clergy from the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. That's a mouthful. Had to go with all of them and sat at the feet of our new bishop, our first African-American female bishop. And while we were there, we talked about the state of the church, the concerns that we as clergy had. We talked about the way in which we had issues going on in our church right now and how the bishop can help and how she could possibly exacerbate those issues. And would you believe that it actually had to be named that one of the problems with her leadership might be the fact that she's a black woman? That was open and honest. That is reconciling and recognizing the fact that some of us serve congregations that feel very differently from how we feel. And that for some people, the fact that she's a black woman is an issue. And then the bishop was allowed to respond. And so she said, I'm a black woman. Get over it. I was born black. I'm going to die black. She said, and I'm a woman. And I leaned over to my friend and I said, and if she changes that, that's a whole other problem. We are who we are. And in some ways, nobody was more vested in the notion that a woman would show what it looks like to lead this country on a national scale than me. Because I still hear it. I still hear that people have a problem with the fact that I have two X chromosomes. In this country, I thought two was better than one. I still hear people talking about the way you look instead of the way you preach. I still hear people talking about the things that you wear instead of the way you wear Jesus Christ. And our bishop, who is a black woman, is having as much trouble leading as the white man that was just elected? There's something deeply wrong in this country, because I don't know what's going to make anybody happy anymore. I don't know what's going to make us happy. But whether we're happy or not, we have to move forward. We can't stay here. We have a kingdom to build, and nobody's going to build a kingdom this divided. I can't hand you a hammer if you tell me you're not going to nail next to him because he voted for Trump. And nobody's going to sit down here and get down in the weeds to help the people that are trying to claw themselves out of poverty if you're not willing to get next to somebody who voted for Clinton. We have work to do. 
This country is so incredibly blessed. We have more material worth than we know what to do with. I spent three weeks traveling around India. I saw people that are so low on the scale, they don't even make the name untouchable. They were living in a landfill. A landfill. Where the untouchables dumped their garbage, these people were living. They didn't even have a roof, not even a tarp. And then I flew back home, and I landed in LaGuardia, and I drove through on the highway, and I could see some of the ghettos of New Jersey. And I'll tell you what, complete 180 better than some of the people in India. It's incredible how much we have as a nation. And so, yeah, I do hold us to a higher standard as American citizens. I hold us to a level to show this world that we can work together because we have been blessed with incredible wealth, time, talent, individuals of great drive. I wish I could get as many people to turn out for Easter as they did for the election. I would give anything for you to have y'all campaign for Christ the way you did for those two. We are held to an even higher standard as Christians. As Christians, God has said, I have freed you. You are in service for me. I have called you to show this world that in addition to the abundant blessings, you can bless others. And we can't do that if we're too busy trying to figure out who voted for whom and make them punished for it. I don't care who you voted for. Because regardless of how you voted, here we are. And we have to figure out a way to move forward. And so I'm going to tell you to do the very same thing that our bishop told us to do. Pray for your leaders. Pray for them. Because the truth is, sometimes you get what you ask for, and sometimes you don't. Go all the way back into the Old Testament when the people said, we want a king. Everybody's got a king. We don't have a king. And God says, hello, I am your king. No, 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 we want like a person king. You know, somebody else sit on a little throne and put a little crown. We want one of those. We want everybody else to look and go, look how awesome their king is. And poor Samuel's like, God, please don't do this, Sam. God, please, no. No, God, don't give them what they want. No. And God says, Samuel, they want it. They're going to get it. Go anoint Saul. King Saul, he was a keeper. Right? And they railed against that. Oh my gosh, what have, we, what have we done? No good, no good. So then they think that they're getting what they want, right? Samuel goes this time to anoint little ruddy faced David. Too young to ever have made any mistakes. His Facebook is clean. And so they anoint him and they bring him in. I mean, this guy, the future is bright. This is the guy who slayed Goliath and who did it without wearing armor except for the protection of the Lord. And his success is the linchpin for why people love him. He is going to do great things for us, fabulous things. They put him in a palace, and then there's Bathsheba. Because he's a human being. He's not perfect. He sins. I've got news for y'all. We all sin. We all sin. We all make mistakes. I'm so glad that my teenage years and early 20s were before social media. Because I don't want anybody bringing that up to me 
It's not going to get broadcast on these screens or any other screen. I don't even want to see what I was wearing in high school, much less what I did. We all have things that are dark in our past. We have said dumb things. We have done things that we are embarrassed about. We have said and done things and thought things and felt things that we won't tell another living soul. We can't even talk about it to ourselves because it's so embarrassing. And we don't want to be that. So is it just possible that God can transform our leadership? Yeah, it is. Because God took an adulterer who murdered the spouse of the woman and brought unity to a divided kingdom. David is known because he united the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And for the first time, they became Israel. An adulterous murderer was able to do that because God worked within them. So what do we do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for our leadership. We're going to pray for our president because we know that God can do incredible things. If God can take the other Saul, don't name your kid Saul, it never goes well. (laughs) The other Saul, the persecutor, the pinnacle of evil towards Christians in the Bible and can make him our strongest champion the one by whom we gather this day because he fought for us otherwise you all would never have had a crab cake or a cheeseburger i'm going to talk about bacon if he had not fought for us we would be out they would have kicked us out of the church and we would never have been here but because paul said no 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 no, we're going to give these people a chance i'm willing to take the hit Here we are, and thank God. It's our turn. It's our turn to show this world that we can move forward together. Now, I have been raising my son for seven years, and one of the most quintessential lessons that I have given that child next to Jesus, 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 is that as human beings, we are entitled to the full breadth of human experience. We are entitled to feel angry hurt, outraged, to mourn. We are entitled to that. And sometimes you just need to sit in that for a little bit. Sometimes you do. And I acknowledge that for him. When you're sad, cry. It's all right. There's a time for that. But don't you dare visit that on somebody else. I won't let him do that. If you're in a bad mood, you don't get to go be snotty to the boy next door. And if you're not feeling well, you can't take that out on the family. We have to learn when and where it is appropriate to really be in the midst of our sorrow, our disappointment, and for some of us, our fear. And also when we put that aside in order to focus. There is a time for all things. There is a time for this feeling that many people have. But there is also a time for us to say that we will not let those feelings destroy us or others, that we will use the hope and grace and love that we have encountered in our Savior 
our King of kings, our Lord of all lords, to let us sow unity. And that is modeled first and foremost in the church. You can turn on the news and you can see that people are hurting. That they are fearful on both sides because I've got people who didn't want any of these people to win. Who felt like they had no choice. And what are we going to do? How do we move forward? We're going to move forward together. And I don't care who you voted for, I'm going to champion you. So that all people will be considered persons of sacred worth. So that all people will have the rights that I have. But I look back and I know all of the people who fought so hard for me to have these rights. Countless generations of women who couldn't vote, who couldn't be ordained, who wouldn't be welcome to stand where I'm standing right now and speak to you. But from the beginning, there were people who were willing to champion. And they didn't champion at the expense of unity. Change takes time. I am not perfect. I don't know any leader who is outside of Jesus. Last week we read how Paul said, I'm so glad I didn't baptize anybody. Well, except them and maybe these other people. I don't know. He's not perfect. We're not perfect. And people who are in a position to lead, I think we know we're not perfect. But we need your help. We need your prayers. We need your presence. Even after the 8.30 worship service, I had people that helped me get better. And so if we are willing to do that together, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be without bumps. I'm going to make mistakes. But we can do it together. We can do it with a little bit of style. We can have some fun. And if we can model that here, why can't that be the case for this country? Why can't we show the world a new and holier way? So if your candidate won, I hope you will practice humility in Jesus Christ. I hope that you will not take this as an opportunity to gloat, which rhymes with goat, and we all know what happens to goats. I hope that if your candidate lost, that you will take time to mourn the hopes and the aspirations that you had, but that you will also leave space for something new. The Apostle Paul tells us even in 2 Corinthians that God is making things new. And there is nothing that God can't make new. And I don't know if you're aware, but you can't go very far in this country without butting up against some Christians. I hope and I pray that the Christians that come into contact with the newly elected leaders of our country show them what grace, truth, and love look like. And by the grace of God, may we start to show our communities in Crozet, in Charlottesville, in Waynesboro, and wherever we go, that we are not defined by an election and for whom we voted, but instead we are defined by our willingness to be one in Jesus Christ. I can preach this message 24 hours a day, but it will mean nothing if you and I don't live it. 
I covenant with you to put aside my personal feelings and to look to move forward to a bright future. Because ultimately, all of our elected leaders will wash away. And one day, we all will stand before Jesus Christ on the day of resurrection. And he's not going to ask us, for whom did you vote in the 2016 election? Instead, he's going to ask us, did you love your neighbor? Did you pray for your enemies? Did you feed the hungry? Give the thirsty something to drink? Did you clothe the naked? Did you welcome the stranger? Did you go and visit those who were sick and imprisoned? And I know what's on the test because I've read the Gospel of Matthew. But I've also read the book of Revelation. And I know that God promises that there is a place where unity is our life. Let's start to give people a taste of that today. May it be so in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.